Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, I know you're sad that Argentina had such a disappointing showing in the World Cup, but it's hard to win with a one-man team. Would you agree that I'm the Lionel Messi of this podcast? <laughs> you know, uh, as as many of you know, I never know the questions Tamler's going to ask when he asks them, and that one just hurt. That one just like that just went straight. It was like a dagger straight through the heart, but the kind of dagger that has like those weird ridges on it that it's easy to go in and harder on the way out. Like I felt it was just like pulling hollow tips. You exactly. You are. It was a one man team. Uh, you 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 are the Leo Messi of this uh, podcast. Um, you have consistently brought us close to victory but always disappoint <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh and, and done very well in on the individual level <laughs> that's never. right that's right you're like you're like on uh, uh barcelona is like sam harris for you you know it's like uh yeah you can excel when you're just you and him uh, <laughs> do you have anyone you're do you care about the tournament anymore uh, anyone you're rooting yeah, for? i have like a pecking order of people to root for after argentina leaves and it usually includes south american teams except for brazil right. um so, so right now i'm going for uruguay over yeah because yeah, uruguay is basically a pro we, we always say it's a province of argentina and they hate <laughs> for it but it's like you know come on <laughs> it's practically us i wanted colombia to win but unfortunately england uh, took over them having a house guest from England right now. This was very disappointing for me to not be able to have Columbia win and throw it in their face. Um, I'm glad. I'm just glad that Germany's out. Um, yes, and I don't want Brazil to win. I'm surprised. So. I thought you'd be rooting for Germany as the second one. <laughs> you seem to be a big <laughs> fan of their policies in the last year, last century. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that was uh, yeah. nice to see them go out, and the just the way they went out too was very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like England. I'm rooting for them because I'm. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if England won. I like. I, I'm. I'm like stepping into the stream, like testing the waters for being a hipster. Uh, <laughs> 
and <laughs> the liking Premier League, I think, is, you know, that, that's, uh, that yeah, could be my entryway. Because like I can't take the Apple stuff and all of that, <laughs> and I'm not going to dress like a hipster. <laughs> but I could get into Premier League and soccer a little bit, because it's pretty fascinating you, actually you could explain to me the difference between manchester city and manchester united <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> um i think namius is way into soccer so if, if that's your goal i mean you could be just like namius <laughs> that is the goal to be just like <laughs> namius <laughs> just like eddie um so today we have a couple of things that we're doing we are doing an episode that was selected by our beloved Patreon listeners. We gave them a choice of five finalists, also determined by our Patreon listeners. Five topics that we could discuss. And the one they chose was personality psychology, which surprised, I think, both of us, especially since implicit bias was another one of those topics, uh, which we did recently anyway. But that's what we'll be talking about in the second segment and it's funny because i knew i think the the reason they do this they they select episodes we've done this twice now the first was the, the famous iq episode and now this like they they seem to deliberately choose things that i know nothing about <laughs> get me to shut the fuck up or something for once um, so. they want like an informative episode uh, <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say that they just choose things that are like happen to be in the political news um, just to fuck with me because like I don't really but like, is personality can, psychology in the political news? no but it was because it was uh, I think it was a direct result of the Cambridge Analytica fiasco on Facebook that used personality tests in order to oh I didn't yeah like that, that's the data that got leaked it was specific personality information and so the idea was that they could get these data to target people with with presumably political ads or information. Um, whether or not that's a successful strategy, whether or not we should be afraid of it, I think is an is an open question. But it was definitely the in the news at the time. Um, I, my sense select. was that the reason they selected it was had to do with it. Something with Jordan Peterson, but I don't know <laughs> why because yeah. I know too little about his work and what he's doing. But yeah, there was yeah. some connection there. Yeah, Jordan Peterson is also a, a personality psychologist, and I think he's just made claims about gender differences in personality and how this might actually be some sort of explanation for what people putatively consider bias in things like hiring. Speaking of politics, which you love. <laughs> we there was a recent study published that cast some light on the way our political orientation might prime us to do things in private in the private arena like wipe our butts wipe our asses yeah this is some sort of hot off the press uh story from um it's a study from the Institute of Interdisciplinary Political and Fecal Science in England, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I you know I, I I applied there. I got an APA interview, but I didn't end up getting the a non campus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I just got a rejection letter three months later that was smeared and shit. Um, <laughs> so that could be is, good. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. They were really, they were really hard at work when they sent it to me. Um, this is so you sent me this uh, earlier today, which is uh, uh, really again a hoax article. But this one's like really, they, he just like phoned it in, but it's hilarious. I mean, it's it's a hoax article. So we've talked about one other hoax article in detail, but it's a, this one is designed to expose the nature of predatory journals, and that's it. It's not designed to expose anything about social psychology and this kind of research. It is just to show that predatory journals will publish anything, and um, <laughs> and by predatory journals, it's just journals, I guess that. Uh, they 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 exist by authors paying them to publish things, right? Yeah, or, and by right. libraries subscribing to them. That's right. So so you know it's a really ugly practice that that I think is bad for everybody. But yeah, you get you know I get emails. I don't know if you get any of of these, but emails saying like, "Hey, submit your work to," and then you know yeah. some really generic sounding journal, and and you could just tell that what they want is for you to to send them whatever <laughs> bullshit you want um and, and and they'll publish and they'll publish it right so let's let's say what this is so it's called by jerry j lewis right it's actually a guy what it's the pseudonym of gary lewis a, a psychologist who published this um uh, <laughs> testing interhemispheric social priming theory in a sample of professional politicians a brief report it's kind of just brilliantly written here's the abstract the current study tests a critical prediction from interhemispheric social priming theory and the sample of professional politicians we ask the question of whether one's political preferences are manifested in the hand used while cleaning one's posterior we find compelling evidence from a sample of professional politicians in the UK, N equals 8, that this is most certainly the case. The finding is a breakthrough and has implications for organizational management and beyond. <laughs> so the idea was if you're, a pre if you're a politician on the right, you will wipe your ass with your left hand and vice versa. That's the <laughs> That's prediction, right. and it was the, the results are striking, startlingly <laughs> confirmed. It's it's uh, <laughs> and and presumably this this is a tight uh, theoretical uh, story because as we all know the right part of your brain controls the left side of your body the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body so <laughs> so uh, like obviously this is a a very very uh, well thought out prediction coming from the the neuroscientific. Uh, expertise. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. There's like a, like a lot of great quotes in. Yeah, those. there are. There are. So so the methods are that uh, the the authors recruited participants from a UK political institution referred to colloquially as Houses of Parliament, and and they went up to politicians on the street. These are all fake names, but intended to to be Teresa maybe real names. Teresa Domingo. Uh, research assistant goes up to the politician, says that they're a psychological scientist doing a study, and asks them a series of questions, including which hand they wipe with. <laughs> uh, Tamler, which hand do you wipe with? This is really, you know, we could add we could add two whole data points so, I mean, to this study. <laughs> now, to be like, I want to make it clear that like the correlation causation direction <laughs> is not established by this study right so right. Could, he, he the author makes it very clear in the limitations section that yeah. experiments need to be done yes 
But uh, I think that I use my right hand, which means I would be a liberal in spite of what That's some right. of our listeners seem to believe. <laughs> That's right. I use my right hand, um, and importantly, always wipe front to back. Um. <laughs> front. What does that mean? You like anal? <laughs> just means I don't like E. coli on my ball sack. Um, <laughs> is that what can happen? Wow. Well, it's especially important for women. This is the number one piece of advice to always give a, a little girl um, front to back. Front to back. <laughs> I don't think I should. But I'm, I'm not going to tell Eliza that, that. I think so. <laughs> Not that I'm giving out to advice to any other little girls other than one minor. Um, uh, so, so yes, we are clearly both liberal. Um, are, are you and, too? Uh, right hand. Yeah, yeah, right handed. Right, right, right hand. <laughs> I, I like so, so in the strengths and weaknesses. Strengths of the study include the ecological validity. Very few studies use real life politicians. Mm-hmm. Weaknesses include the fact that we did not formally confirm the wiping hand. To do so was thought to violate ethical and possibly national security protocol. <laughs> <laughs> Did, have I talked ever on this podcast, if you remember, about um, <clears throat> a study that was conducted in the 70s where they were looking at how long it took men to start urinating in a public bathroom? No. Have I ever mentioned this? Okay, no. so so this made this that sentence that you just read made me especially laugh because there was a, a study conducted where they were interested in this hypothesis that the mere presence of other people, sort of like social presence of others, increases arousal, uh, just arousal, not sexual, just general arousal in the body. So so there was some reason to believe that just other people being around would would you know cause things like your heart rate to go slightly up your you know your hands to get a little bit sweaty and they uh they um it it turns out that arousal is bad that kind of physiological arousal is bad for peeing like you're basically like you know you get you shy bladder or whatever and so they actually did a series of studies where when people came into the public restroom they either put a research assistant in a urinal. So there's three set up of three urinals and they, you would think this is a parody study, but no, they either had a person right next to them or one urinal away. Yeah. And, um, or no, nobody at all. And depending on if there's, I think there's like four studies in this paper. Um, they had another research assistant sitting over by the faucet listening for the sound of the pee stream commencing and writing down how many seconds it took. And then in a follow-up study that, again, just could be a parody article, it's hilarious, they, they actually point to this limitation. They say, well, you know, that could have been not as, as accurate or as precise as we wanted. So they actually constructed like um, a periscope-like instrument that a research assistant could be in a stall and look around to actually visually observe when the guy's pee stream started. And they <laughs> made note of it. <clears throat> and like, do found... you have institutional review boards? Like how does well, this... so, so yeah, and this is a re- one of the reasons I talk about this in my intro psych class, because it's fun to talk about. But it's also, th- so one, they found evidence for their hypothesis. I don't know. It's not been replicated. Like for stage reasons. right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly, everyone knows yeah. that already. 
right? <laughs> they are, well, now we do, Tyler. Now, yeah, now um, we do. Now we and, have an empirical. Well, in, <laughs> yeah, I think it was in the American Psychologist, sort of the broad, broad uh, uh, journal of the American Psychological Association. Somebody published a pretty harsh critique of the ethics of doing this, and that actually did cause a, a lot of. You know, we always talk about Milgram and Zimbardo as being the the things that caused the institutional review boards to get so strict yeah. with us. But that also really did uh, make people. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would hope so. <laughs> like they're just you know? looking. They're, they're, they have a periscope installed at people who haven't agreed to participate in the study. They, they anonymized the data, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no identifying dick information. No dick deets were published. No. <laughs> I think my sample would have been thrown out just as too much of an outlier because, like, it takes me forever to start peeing. Uh, oh, I, 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 on the other hand, just can't even make it to the stall. I just, <laughs> I'm peeing before I even pull it out. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that you learn on Very Bad Wizards. Anyway, after that detour, can we go back to this? I think this one, like, they, I, you can see that the IRB is a more because they did not test whether the people actually wiped their hand. Right. So this is it, purely self-report. Yeah, and and as we know, self-report is is very <clears throat> unreliable. I love this this uh, follow-up quote right after that uh, sentence you read. Um, one of the anonymous reviewers noted, "I can't one of the help." Seven. Anonymous. One of the seven called <laughs> Dr. I.P. Daly, uh, who noted, I can't help wondering, though, about the ass-wiping practices of political centrists and independents. Do they alternate hands or do they use both hands at the same time? And he says, also, recently I had to switch the hand I normally use as I acquired a painful blister. I won't trouble you with the details of how. And now that I think of it, I'm pretty sure I felt inexplicably drawn to the Daily Mail that day. <laughs> Which is a UK joke, I assume that that is, that, yeah, that that is that a that's right. A, that's a right-wing paper. <laughs> so you might uh, uh, consider supplementing this work with exp experimental manipulation. I also <laughs> love the, the conclusion, future projects might extend the work by exploring if the findings extend to the hand with which one pleasures their genitals or strokes their beloved pet pooch. We enthusiastically encourage their work. So now that right there, like you can't both pet your beloved pet pooch and your genitals with the same hand because you're doing it at the same time, right? Like, so how do you? That's it's. <laughs> I I did not even think about that, but as soon as you started that <laughs> sentence, you I knew, knew where exactly that was going. How it was going to end? Yes, this is since I'm not a dog owner. Um, currently, I, I don't remember how I did that. You know, there is an interesting question uh, that I don't know. Maybe somebody has done research on this: is whether handedness, uh, being right-handed or left-handed, how good a predictor it is for masturbation hand. Because I, my sense is that a lot of people who are right-handed actually masturbate with their left hand. Yeah, which is weird. Because yeah. you it wipe your hand. Like, I bet it's like very close to 100% like wiping your ass. Right, wiping and, and jerking. Yeah. yeah. No, no, uh, no. Wiping oh. your ass with your right hand. Like, yeah. if you're oh, writing. Oh, if you're right-handed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if uh, you're, uh, <laughs> but, but not, but then not jerking off. So what, what this, explains that discrepancy? This is, this is these are the questions that keep us up at night as psychologists. And so I'm glad we have the scientific method to, uh, but it just made me think. Um, very bad wizards listener surveys. These are the questions we need to know. 
we we're gonna we're gonna do this eventually we are like in the methods last quote that i want to read yes using structural equation modeling (laughs) us formally confirmed this finding the aic was 1643.23 and the rmsea was 0.02 these are excellent fit statistics although the model makes little sense Oh, so good. It's well really done. fun. Like, it's really well written. And, and I guess so, like, it just shows, like, these journals will publish anything. Like, I know. They just don't uh, even the, read it. The best the best part, and we'll put a link to uh, to his tweet, to Gary Lewis's tweet, um, is that he he actually bargained them down to publish this for free. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, there you go. What's the psychology behind deciding to start and run a predatory journal like that's really how you're gonna make your money like if you're gonna be a con artist or a crook like why not do it in a more interesting way like just rob old ladies for their jewels something or like you know i i think and i'm sure people know way more than i about this but i think that there might be a lot of money in lumping together some of these journals and selling them to libraries right like i um but you also probably get a whole lot of desperate people often probably some international people who are looking to publish in english journals who who might not know any better and and you know if you charge a few hundred dollars for an online fucking journal like we could do this we could have like the very bad slash publish here charge people fifty dollars to follow and uh and just put up any shit like i i don't know how long these things last i don't know if they're taken down after a while um i mean um, this has been all over twitter and it's still available online so there you go man this is this is how this is our road royal road to full professorship (laughs) town it's not the podcast that's for sure so I guess we'll have to do that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, now you're going to have a chance to prove that you are full professor worthy in the next segment as we talk about personality psychology. Yo, I'm hot like 95 Fahrenheit on a summer night, tight spot where bodies rot. Rats drink from water drops in the streets, niggas. Little kids get cops with red dots, philosophical gangster with violent priors. Going back like black and white TVs with pliers. Leaning on broke down cars with flat tires. Flash shining on anybody trying on the blocks I'm supplying on. Mighty cone, my peeps, tie balloons up and swallow them in the penile. Got goons, lots of them. Cops see them and run, don't want no drama. Certain parts of the streets, the beast. Don't want a part of martyr Hood haunted like the Dakota Where John Lennon was shot up But he sang for peace He banged for freedom Hang with wild Jamaicans from Kingston Who drank Irish Moss Listening to Peter Winston Macintosh Lightning hits the top of the church steeple When I'm writing Semi-automatic, no hyphen It's frightening Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. At this point, we like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners for getting in touch with us, communicating with us, 
um, emailing us, rating us on iTunes, going on our Reddit page, going on Facebook, tweeting us. Uh, we, we love the interaction. We don't always have time to get back to people, but we read everything and we appreciate it. We, we enjoy it. Um, you can tweet us at Tamler, at Peas, at Very Bad Wizards. Email us at VeryBadWizards at gmail.com. You can go on our Reddit page, subreddit Very Bad Wizards. Uh, you can like us on Facebook and get involved in the Facebook discussion of each episode. You can also like us on Instagram. Uh, like us on Instagram? Is that what you do? Follow us. Follow, follow. us. <laughs> Fuck, I, I did that last time too, I think. <laughs> follow us on Instagram. You sound you, like you're 45 years old. What about Snapchat? Like, what do you do on Snapchat? Uh, I think you you follow, but I just, I, that for the life of me, I cannot understand. Sext us on Snapchat. <laughs> Well, yeah, almost at any of those, at any of those. Yeah, you can really sex, sex us, sex us everywhere except Reddit. <laughs> and you can support us uh, in more tangible ways, and we really appreciate this. Sponsors kind of come and go and are sporadic, but what keeps this going is our supporters and there are multiple ways you can support us all of which are found on our support page um, at vbw.fm you can click on the amazon link there and then shop as you normally would and we will get a small cut of that you can um, paypal us a one-time donation or you can become one of our beloved patreon supporters and um, give us a small amount for every episode. We love our Patreon listeners. We try to give them some bonus content. Every so often we let them decide what topic an episode is going to be, as is the case with this episode. And both times they have chosen, I think wisely, the last one is one of our, it's, our, it's definitely our most downloaded non-Sam Harris episode right. ever. Um, right. And I don't I, know if that will be the case now, but it does suggest that maybe you're the Lionel Me- Lionel Messi of the podcast <laughs> rather than me um, because you do the heavy lifting. Um, with You did the heavy lifting with the last one and you might do the heavy lifting here. Given how little I know about personality psychology but yes you can go to patreon.com slash very bad wizards look at the various reward tiers and become part of that community we really really appreciate it thank you yeah thanks to everybody take it away um yeah you know i i uh i think that there's something wrong with the system because i did have to do a lot of preparation for this one <laughs> and the last one i feel like a sucker uh but then again you know, you wrote a book, and we did we did an episode on that. We did two episodes. We published one. Okay, I'll start as broadly broadly as possible. Um, the study of personality in psychology is is broadly trying to figure out a few general questions um, about about the human mind. And let me start by distinguishing it from a lot of the psychology that that we talk about a lot of psychology that I do um, and that 
most psychologists do, which is trying to find similarities across human beings. Is we want to know how memory works. We want to know how emotions work. And we were looking for broad universal principles, broad uh, uh, very specific mechanisms that are, that are um, features of every human mind. And the differences are often uh, sort of noise in, in the sense that that's not, it's not so much what you're interested in. If you want to know how short-term memory and long-term memory work, well, of course, you're going to get these differences in individuals, but you hope that what you're getting when you study enough people is sort of an understanding of, in general, how the mechanism works. Some people have better memory than others, but that's not what you might be interested in. Um, so, so a lot of psychology really is interested in finding the universals um, uh, because I think makes sense. If you want to find universal laws that govern behavior, um, look for similarities. But... So the study of personality in psychology is really trying to focus on a different sense of universality. It's trying to understand whether the differences across people, the individual differences, um, can be explained with sort of universal mechanisms that we would understand as giving rise to those differences. So it's not that they're not focused on universal mechanisms or processes. They want to explain what makes the difference between people uh, across a series of traits. And it's not just any individual difference, um, right? Because, you know, the study of IQ and the study of differences, individual differences in memory, you can study a whole bunch of individual differences. But the study of personality in, psych in psychology is really trying to focus on relevant differences in social, uh, uh, social interactions, in subjective conscious experience, Things that um, that would be relevant for us, you know, by dint of being social creatures and by dint of having an, a rich inner subjective world. So, what is what is uh, picked by personality psychologists to study is an interesting question. But broadly speaking, personality is more than just individual differences. It's individual differences in the kinds of things that we would be interested in. You know, roughly speaking, as in. Tamler, if you tell me that you have a friend that you'd like me to meet, and I say, what are they like? You would use general sort of trait terms to tell me how they are different to other people and how they are similar to other people. So you might say, uh, well, this, you know, this, this guy that I want you to meet is very shy, but he's also super funny and he's really smart. He, he's just a lover of life. Um, he likes whole, to try a whole bunch of you know, new things is what he did last year. That kind of information. So, so the question broadly is, what is it that people differ in, and why do they differ in that? Right. Okay, um, yeah. So that's the, the central question is, what are the character traits that people, even in the same cultures, will, will, will exhibit different characteristics? So one, one uh, here's, here's one, I think this is from David Funder, uh, characteristic patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and the psychological mechanisms that might be behind those patterns. So the idea for personality, uh, the, 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 the theoretical approach is usually um, trying to find out if there are consistent patterns in individuals um, across situations and across time. Uh, trying to see if we can come up with a taxonomy of, of those differences. 
and trying to understand what might give rise to those differences to begin with. And then a whole host of other questions like does it make is it important to that to understand these differences if what I want to do is say predict job performance or I want to um, predict life's you know subjective well-being or longevity or health and also how consistent are the differences over the course of a lifetime say that's right that's right so if I ask you questions about your extroversion um, when you're 12 and it turns out you're really introverted will that score predicts your introversion extroversion at age 30 and then at age 70 right so there is some interesting findings there um just very briefly like it turns out that that past a certain age your personality traits tend to tend to be fixed so the difference between age 30 and age 70 will be much smaller than the difference between age 12 and age 30 um so there's some evidence that you kind of sort of you know these these traits congeal some some point during adulthood we don't so when you're 29 like that's your last chance it's your last shot at to like turning from an extrovert to an introvert (laughs) exactly like right that night that you turn (laughs) right (laughs) it's amazing Um, that people like you know like devote time to like celebrating their (laughs) birthday when they really should just be focused on self-improvement right um you know that particular finding makes sense to me um given just my own observation of my own life like i actually like the things that i liked when i was in college for instance they kind of just i kind of just got stuck there like yeah like you know but college i'm surprised it's not younger frankly yeah like i'm surprised that it's not like when you're in high school or when you're in college that the cutoff is yeah that's true i think college for people who do attend college like it's forcing you to be exposed to a whole bunch of variety um, in a way that, that you'll never be exposed for the rest of your life. Right? You're exposed to so many different people. You socialize every single day and you're, you're getting this, you, it's like a buffet of sociability. And, and then all of a sudden you, you become an adult with a job and you never fucking talk to anybody. You never grow. <laughs> you <again>. never grow. <laughs> um, um, so you sent me a test that I think yeah. is representative of a lot of the personality tests that try to sort of delineate where people are, what the differences are, what kind of personality you have. So I took it. Maybe we could start by talking about these tests because this is something that I have lived my life sort of innocent of. I didn't even do the Facebook ones, never mind like a real one like this. And I, I, I it sort of surprises me that it's more than a than a Facebook quiz like what <laughs> right. friends character are you or like what sex in the city uh, I don't know right like ex-boyfriend are you or whatever so but 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 people take this stuff seriously like people this this actually matters and I, I it I, it's right like, I just want to know about this like what why are these tests so important and why do we think they have the validity that we apparently think they do right so so it's a good place to start. We'll put a link for 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 those who I feel like we don't say this enough, but but if you go to the website or in your podcast player, we have show notes and we have a bunch of links. I, I have a bunch of links that I'll post. One of them will be to taking a a personality test that gives you your score. And I think that it's a good place to start to try to understand what it is that personality psychologists are measuring. 
So this test that I gave you is one of many uh, tests that are trying to assess where you lie on five different dimensions. And I'll get into why, uh, why, why this division into five traits, five very, very broad personality uh, components exists. Um, and the way that they assess this is by just giving you a bunch of questions like, I am the life of the party. I think my ideas are great. Um, I pay careful attention to detail in my work. Uh, a whole bunch of these questions. And I, I care about others. I'm interested in their problems. That's right. So the five traits that are, the, and this is the dominant theory of personality within within personality psychologists, uh, or at least taxonomy, I should say. Um, it, it, the big five. The mnemonic is easy. Ocean it, are the first letters of, of each of these dimensions. Openness to experience is one of them. Conscientiousness, which is like, you know, how, how orderly are you? How careful are you? How good are you at self-control? Um, uh, you know, is I your, scored is very your, low on conscientiousness. I, conscientiousness is my lowest as well. Yeah. <laughs> like th some sample questions there are like, I'm exacting in my work. I follow a schedule. I get chores done right away. I pay attention to details. <laughs> Um, <laughs> None of those things, right? Uh, some some examples for openness to experience are: I am full of ideas. Um, I uh, am quick to understand things. I like abstract ideas. The openness to experience is often called intellect as well. So it lumps together. Yeah, it's, that's essentially the what I had. Like I didn't yeah. have openness to experience. Right. So so it intellect it lumps, imagination. Intellect imagination. It lumps together. Um, sort of a curiosity dimension, right? Like it, that, that captures intellectual curiosity uh, as well as how open you are to novelty. Extroversion, introversion is, is the other dimension. Um, and that one has been around for a long time. Uh, hopefully that's self-explanatory, but some sample items uh, would be like, I'm the life of the party. I talked to lots of different people um, at parties, reverse scored uh, things like I am quite around strangers. Um, I think a lot before I speak or act. I suspect that both you and I score high on extroversion. Yeah, um, I scored. Yeah. That was my highest score. Yeah, me too. Agreeableness is other one, the fourth one. Um, and it's sort of concern for, for social harmony, um, making sure that people are getting along, that you're getting along with people, your interest in how other people are feeling. So some sample items are I'm interested in, in people. I have a soft heart. I feel others' emotions. I... I make people feel at ease, um, reverse coded. I'm not interested in other people's problems, right? The opposite. I feel a little concern for others, just a general concern for, for, uh, the way other people are feeling and for just being liked and have having a desire for social harmony. And the final one is, is, uh, neuroticism, which is a, I don't think in the test we took, it's called neuroticism. No, um, it's called emotional it is, stability. Right. So stability or instability, and that's a much better way of saying it because neuroticism is so uh, so easily conflated with some you know, clinical disorders. Um, and that just literally means like how, you know, how labile are your emotional responses? Like, do you go... Labile? That sounds sexual. <laughs> that's if you want it to be. Um, but uh, yeah, how stable are your emotional reactions? Do you, are you sort of like constantly just a rock and you don't, you don't, you don't change your emotional. You don't have swings in your emotions, or are you, 
the kind of person who is, can be very happy and all of a sudden sort of just like be super pissed that something happened um, and react Violent emotionally strong. Yeah, and you know, presumably not not to the clinical level, but right. just as as a sort of quote unquote normal dimension. Are you the sort of person who um, you're having a great vacation and then all of a sudden you're the the soup that the waiter brings you is cold and you're like, I can't fucking believe this, you know. Um, so some of the some of the sample items like I get irritated easily, I get upset easily, I have frequent mood swings, I worry about things, I'm uh, anxious, uh, I seldom I reverse coded, I seldom feel blue. Um, so so you can view this kind of as the presence of negative emotionality, um, even though it's it's more defined as as a swing between positive and negative. But a lot of people view this this particular dimension as, as a rough index of how often you're feeling negative emotions. Um, so yeah, so those are the five. Um, and so, should we just guess each other's or mm, reveal them, divulge let's, them? Let's do, let's do it. And I think the best way to, to, to try to do this is to just rank them. Because the percentile scores, we can give our percentiles, but to guess each other's. Um, I, you know, I would be surprised if we're that different in, in our rank order, just a quick clarification, emotional stability is the score that they give, um, in this test that we took that we're, we're linking to when it's called neuroticism, it means the higher the number, the less stable. So the more emotional instability in our case, the higher the number, the more stable, um, so we have scores for extroversion, emotional stability, agreeableness, conscientiousness, and intellect imagination. We've already divulged that extroversion was our highest, and I have, we've already divulged that conscientiousness is our lowest. Is that right? But by a lot. like By a lot. Yeah. No, this is like a full... <laughs> like, my percentile con- I'm in the second two. percentile for I'm in the 12th percentile for <laughs> conscientiousness. <laughs> and I'm in the 96th percentile for extroversion. I'm 95th, yeah. Yeah, which is weird because I'm really an introvert. No. Um... <laughs> And I'm really conscientious. I'm going to guess that your next one, yeah, your next highest one after extroversion is intellect and imagination. No, that's actually no. all the way down to fourth. Oh wow! Okay, I'm wrong. Is that right. I'm so, going to? So yeah, I don't know. What, like I'm a little insulted by that score. I have like the 59th yeah. percentile for that. Like what the hell? Like I think for, I'm for imaginative. I have a. I, I I am smart. I think kind um, of. Smart enough. Uh, well, like openness to experience is maybe in some ways like a less value laden uh, uh, way of, of of calling it. But but yeah, I've done so, math. All right, so <laughs> so I think that then then your next one is agreeableness. As much as it pains, it's cl- I, they're they're tied essentially. Of stability, emotional stability, and agreeableness. Okay. Uh, st- emotional stability is the next one, that, but they're both like one of them seventy eight, the other is seventy six percentile. So you're seventy eight in stability. Yeah. So, so percentile, I'm seventy fourth percentile in stability. Um, what about agreeableness? And agreeableness is my second biggest one, eighty seventh oh, percentile. Wow. You're yeah, way I more really agreeable care. than I. Am. I really care what people think. <laughs> Um, but then I have violent mood swings when they don't like me. Um, <laughs> and What's so your stability from, score? My stability is 74th oh, okay. percentile. So just a little, yeah. Intellect imagination is 80th percentile, and then conscientiousness goes all the way down to 12th. Yeah. Now, 
it's it does seem weird that a set of like I think they were fifty questions like the ones that I was telling you would be the way that you could accurately assess anything. It seems especially since a lot of the questions are essentially asking the same thing. So it's really yeah. like you're asking fifth, five things. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're right. Yeah. They're they're getting at five, but but some of them are different ways of getting at it, and others are essentially the same question. So. Just to use this as a starting point to talk a little bit about how personality psychologists came up with this taxonomy, I think that that um, getting an understanding for the actual items is important. Um, and as you say, it feels a little weird that they're asking the same thing over and over again, and they're getting your self-report. So why wouldn't people just say like, I, you know, I'm really smart um, on the life of the party? But the truth is, people don't really have that much trouble saying it, right? So like, there is there is a a very you know, normal distribution of these, um, you know, you could be high and low on these and people, you know, don't have much problem saying that they, right. Like I wish I were more conscientious, but I'm in the 12th percentile. Like I, if I really, really wanted to Better people to the second percentile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, uh, so, so, you know, I don't, I don't think that, that, uh, it's that much of a problem um, that it's self-report, but there definitely are many other ways to assess this. And so many of the common ways to try to get around that is to get other people reporting. So people who know you well, like classmates or parents, friends, to rate other people on this um, and or teachers, for instance. And you can look at peer reports, teacher parent reports and self-reports. And you can kind of get a sense of, of um, whether or not the self-report tests are, are tracking that. And they, by and large, are. Right? There's not that much of a difference. Um, but like, so yeah. for example, the intellect imagination one, there are questions that are essentially, do you have an active imagination? Are you imaginative? That like, you know, I answered neutral on those because I don't yeah. know if I have more of an imagination than others. It seems like people have fucked up imaginations and <laughs> like I don't have that. Like I don't have these weird like I don't want someone watching me take a shower. I don't right. want like so like I always put like neutral for those things. But that's just because of how I'm interpreting imagination maybe. Yeah. So so there is the fear that some of the ways in which these traits are described are actually ambiguous enough that they're going to be read differently by different people. And that's one of the reasons that they try to assess it with a whole bunch of different questions. Now, yeah. whether or not that gets around that problem, like it's still affecting your score. Uh, we should specify that these were, were they four point, like a, yeah, they were five, five. point scales. Yeah. So. So, so there are two broad things that I think really need to be talked about when we talk about uh, modern personality psychology and the big five and any other way, any other theoretical approach. Um, one is like, how the fuck do you come up with the five? Like, why, why these five? Like, are these actually capturing a real thing? And what it means for a personality trait or attribute to be a real thing at all? Like, what, it, what does it even mean to say that you have a trait of extroversion? Um, because you could be accused of circularity by saying like, well, if you behave in an extroverted fashion is because you possess this underlying trait of extroversion that's causing you to behave um, in an extroverted mesh. Kind of. Right. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I wanted to briefly mention is that early personality psycho uh, psychologists tried really hard to avoid a moral or an evaluative ask traits. So 
what you don't see here is um, things like what we might call character or virtues. Yeah. You don't see things like honesty, you know, or you know, hardworking, and that's because courageous or courageous. They yeah. wanted it to be not value laden. They wanted these to be traits that people that are merely descriptive and not evaluative. And that's changed a little bit. Like there's a, been a resurgence in interest in character and character traits. Um, one of the more sort of the uh, one of the newer um, theories of personality psychology is called the Hexaco model, and that's just taking the Big Five and adding an honesty dimension uh, to it. Um, and the argument there is that there is a reliable individual difference in in broadly speaking this uh, kind of moral character trait. Um, so, so it was, I think it was a judgment call to, to avoid the evaluative stuff, um, for la for fear of being accused perhaps, or maybe just out of desire to be rigorous scientifically and not be making value claims, but also maybe out of a fear of being accused of what some of the early people who were interested in individual differences like Francis Galton, who, <laughs> who really were comfortable making value claims and promoting eugenics and stuff like that. Um, but why the five? And this is a really, I think, a super clever and interesting way um, of trying to figure out how many actual underlying uh, traits you might have. Like one way of thinking of it is if you take all of the ways in which we can vary in, our, in what we might call our social behavior and in our inner subjective life, um, and you take all of the ways in which we describe each other. So like if you asked me to describe you, Tamler, and I list off a whole bunch of things, how many things am I really saying? Right? Like, like when I say that you're funny and that you're outgoing and that you are the life of the party, have I said three things or have I said one thing? And the way in which early personality psychologists actually went about trying to figure out how many dimensions there would be of personality, how many traits or broad, broad traits or attributes, was just that. They took all of the descriptors they could find in a dictionary. Like, how many of these words are describing something that individuals differ on? And then they removed the things that were not important, they were not interesting. This part was a sort of a... a uh, judgment call. Like I don't, yeah, you could differ in height, but I'm not right. So tall and short describe individual differences, but that's not what I'm interested in. And, well, they and culled, this doesn't relate to personality. Yeah. That those don't relate to personality. So they culled all of those words. Um, and they were left with thousands of words that described something that you would roughly say is a personality trait. And what they did then was a statistical method um, called factor analysis, where you take all of those descriptors and they just have people rate themselves, rate other people um, on these traits, and they see which of them stick together. So if I said you were outgoing, would I also say that you're funny? Would I also say that you're uh, the life of the party? Would it, you know, They just basically statistically looked to see how many bins would all of these terms fit into. And it's a mathematical task, and it's very atheoretical. It is, and, and you have to make some assumptions. But you're basically putting all of that data, all of those data, into this technique to reduce the data. And you're, you're trying to see what the best solution is. That's why it, one of the reasons I was laughing at the fit of the model in the, in the hoax article that we talked about in, in part one, where he said, this is a very good fit, although the model makes no sense um, you could 
it could be the case that one of the criticisms is that this is completely a theoretical. There is nothing that's driving this other than just like brute, brute data collection. But that's nonetheless what they did. So, and then a few other people did more of that and they did it better. And a lot of people have done this. It's called sort of a lexical analysis. So you're just taking all of the, the terms that we use to socially describe other people and you're, you're getting those ratings and you're trying to see how many, how, many, how many dimensions there are. There's some argument about how many dimensions there are. You could force there to be one or two or five or eight, but there has been consensus looking at a whole bunch of data um, that five seems to be the right the right number of dimensions that captures everything. It seems kind now, of convenient that all the data <laughs> kind of points in that direction. Right. Well, it may then maybe it'll it'll uh, put you at ease to know that a lot of the people who are doing this hate each other and they have arguments about how many. So some people say there's sixteen. Some people say there's six. I should say. Uh, that Sanjay Srivastava, co-host of the Black Goat podcast, he's a personality psychologist, as is his co-host, Samin Vizier. They've done a lot of really interesting work on this. Sanjay is the one who gave us all of these readings. Um, and he's done a lot of work on the Big Five uh, personality. And he wrote a chapter that that informed me a lot on this. Like in, it, But in some ways, it's not that interesting. You, we could have this question about, are there five or six or eight? But what you end up doing is just splitting the uh, conscientious one, conscientiousness dimension into two different ones and just measuring those. And well, you know. but that's a loaded way of describing what, what you end up doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like to the person who thinks yeah, that those yeah, are yeah, two no, no, different yeah, yeah. dimensions. Like. Absolutely. Well, and, and I, I say that to say that it is to mean that if this is all you're doing, if all you're doing is a lexical analysis of, of terms, then you're really you have no leg to stand on if you argue whether there, are there sixteen or are there five. You're basically getting down to the math, like how you interpret the the factor analysis statistics. Well, so here's my question about this. Yeah. So what is the way of resolving some of these disagreements? Is it how predictive of behavior? the traits turn out to be how predictive of life outcomes yeah well-being or how predictive it it is on a in a variety of domains is that like what's the check on determining how accurate these methods are and these studies are yeah so that's a good question it depends on what you mean by how accurate or how good this is so if what you want to know is how many dimensions of personality are there, then it's, it's a pretty difficult thing because um, the truth is the more factors and the more questions you toss in there, the more predictive it'll be. Basically, the more, the more specific I get, the better I will be at predicting behavior in specific situations. If you want to know whether or not I'm, you're saying something interesting about the underlying psychological mechanisms... Like, is it some? Is it really the case that extroversion introversion is a uh, meaningful uh, dimension that we could understand, sort of, uh, in a deeper psychological sense, or maybe even in a biological sense? Then you have to go another route. So here's a few ways in which people have have tried to get better information about this. So when you want to look across languages, 
right? So, so if it really is the case that we lump together, that, that basically we're saying one of five broad things when we describe personality, you would want it to be true in other languages. Um, it's kind of true, right? Like there's, the, like there's really been not that much research across languages, but it's not, it's not different enough that you would say there's something deeply wrong with, with this big five theory. Um, a more interesting way to do it is to try to tie it to um, psychological mechanisms that you might see early in life. Um, and here's a distinction that's often made, uh, a distinction between temperament and personality, where temperament is something that is a, a broader difference that is uh, often tied to basic psychological functioning that you can observe early in life. So you can say of a baby that it has sort of a, a negative temperament, it's crying a lot. It's very different than saying they're neurotic. Um, it's a broader thing, but you can measure this. And so plenty of people have done these, these uh, trying to look at individual differences in the temperament, say of infants or of animals even. And you can sort of see some of these differences uh, early on in life. So if you startle a baby... Um, as you've had a baby, so you know this to be true. If you startle a baby, you dangle like a novel toy in front of it, say, and it starts crying. One of the things you can do is measure how long before it stops crying. That measure, right, how long does it take the baby to calm down, turns out to be a fairly stable measure of negative affect. That negative affect that we might call neuroticism, that you measure if you get enough measures of a baby... Uh, of a baby's negative affectivity, um, that's predictive of adult personality. And so you'd want there to be, um, perhaps, if, you're, if you want to make a claim that this extroversion-introversion or this neuroticism dimension is, is capturing something quote-unquote real that's not just a, a quirk of language the way that we describe it, not entirely socially constructed, You'd want it to tie to some sort of biological differences or some sort of early emergent differences, differences across animals, um, cross-cultural uh, cross cultural differences. You'd want all that converging evidence to say, hey, it really does seem like these, these are tapping something real. Um, and there's a lot of interesting animal work showing that if you observe the behavior of animals, you probably noticed this in, in the dogs that you've had, some of them do seem sort of very outgoing and friendly and some of them seem super anxious and neurotic right like the chihuahua chihuahuas in general no my pitfall <laughs> it was like neurotic yeah yeah and yeah. the basset hound is like as more relaxed than i will ever be in my whole life at any point like, right you can see these differences people have done these observations and noticed that that at least some of these actually um are seen in non-humans uh, so extroversion, neuroticism, and agreeableness, yeah. you can actually see across species. And it's yeah. interesting because they, they, they also manifest themselves in this kind of non-evaluative way. Like, I love my pit bull mix, even though he's so neurotic, because <laughs> it, that trait manifests itself in other ways, the kind of neediness and the kind of that we really like. And then the other, and then the, the Bassett mix is he's sometimes too chill. Like, you want him to... Right play and get so it, it has that I, I i take it the big five is supposed to be like that where it's not bad 
to be high right. or low in a particular trait. There are good and bad things about where you are on the spectrum at every point, right? Uh, exactly. That's exactly right. That's that that is exactly the way that it's supposed to be interpreted. And it's hard like when I teach this to students, it's hard, you know, when you use a, a term like neuroticism, it's very hard to to try to describe it in in a neutral way. <laughs> right. But but there is, you know, there is oh, You should meet my friend. He's really neurotic. You would love him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but you know, like in some ways, neuroticism is a trait that I I uh, I actually value in other people. Comes along with some some good stuff that that I actually like. Um, I like it when people get really upset that something didn't go the way that they wanted it to go because that's how we get the iPhone. Because um, Steve Jobs was neur- neurotic, right? Like, which he, is ru- currently ruining the- an entire generation of lives. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, the neurotic um, Steve Jobs like decided to do that. Exactly. Worth it. Totally worth the ruining of a generation. Another thing I'll say is that there are, um, you know, some people point to the heritability research. If you look at these big five uh, traits in twin studies, for instance, uh, much, much like any other psychological trait, you actually find that there's quite a high degree of heritability. Some are more more than others. Openness to experience is highly heritable. Uh, extroversion. These are like right around 50% heritability um, index, which is, it's not a guarantee that just because they're heritable, they are biologically based. Like, um, but you know, it, it still is, is something that people point to as evidence for the biological basis. Um, So what I, what I don't get in the answer to my previous question is what determines whether we say there are five, basic personality traits or whether we say there are 10 like how yeah. do you decide that you said that you can't go by predictive power because it, it'll always be more predictive to get more specific um and then right. you, you you say the way in which you justify that a trait is uh a trait at all is tying it to either uh, biological or early childhood development uh, yeah. research, but how do you? But but so like the people yeah. who think there are ten, or the people who think, yeah. like how are they supposed to make their case that we're running together too many things with just having five? Right. So if I understand this correctly, and eventually we'll have perhaps Sanjay or Samin on here to correct me. It really is the case that you are arguing the fit of your mathematical model right to the data. So you're doing not you're doing a couple of things. You're trying to conceptually make sense of it. So if there are like 18 um, and you look at the data, it mathematically fits with 18 different factors, and it doesn't conceptually make sense. You can't see the similarity between these items and this I- these items. You, you, your theoretical and conceptual understanding of something that's sensical does play a role. You're making a kind of a judgment call. The items that stick together need to make sense to me. And then, and then you're looking at the fit with more and more data. And so really the reason that we landed on five is because that seemed to be when people were doing these lexical kinds of studies, it really did seem to be like mathematically the best fit over and over and over again. And so if you want to say that there aren't five, 
you have to show that your six-factor model fits the data better. Like when you insert, say, questions about honesty, that in fact, uh, that they the items fall into six bins more easily than they fall into five bins. So you have to show it with the statistics. Or you have to say, look, I don't care that it fits so good with the five. You are conceptually conflating in, uh, you're conflating two things that conceptually don't make sense. One of them is, broadly speaking, how much I care about, um, about sorry, in agreeableness, how much I care about being a moral person versus how much I care about other people liking me or something like that. Right. So, so those are really the, the two ways, as I understand it, that you would have to argue about how many, uh, how many there are. But then um, also, like, so this is going to be a naive question, but so one of the ways that we're different, you and I, that we've talked about is you have this, like, crippling fear of death. Yeah. And I don't. Yeah. Right. Like I don't really that's just not something that is at the center of my uh, consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But none of the factors could explain that. Right. Yeah. There's nothing in in our results that would predict that or that would explain it or that would do anything about that. And I'm sure there's so many of those kinds of things where, oh, here are people who scored very similar on the big five traits, but they seem to be really different when you talk to them in all these significant ways. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so that's a really good question, right? So you, you might think that it's the neuroticism score that, that is that I actually have, um, negative, a negative affective reaction to the thoughts of death that can get me from a good mood to a, to a, nasty mood very quickly and you could say that that's actually captured but there might be something else where you have very similar scores on that i guess yeah and and there might be something else that that um you are more you know you you might be way more triggered you know by someone insulting your manhood than i am so so yeah i mean there is a level of abstraction that you it really is a functional like you have to have like, what is this theory intended to do, right? And you're going to sacrifice um, specific predictive power the more you abstract away from something. So say I wanted to categorize uh, um, cars and trucks. You could say, look, there are, there are these things called vehicles. There's one dimension. That's it. It's either a vehicle or it isn't. But then you might say, but like when I'm trying to decide... Uh, what to drive to work every day. I don't want a snowmobile. Like that really matters to me. And so you say, okay, let's come up with some more specific categories. You have cars, you have trucks, you have snowmobiles, you have boats, and and you come up with those. And now you're in a sort of a better situation if what you want to do is figure out what to take to commute to work. But somebody might say, but you're losing so much information in your categorization categorization of cars because there are sedans, there are sports cars, and that really matters to me. And so you might say, fine, okay, like it would be bad if you want to drive across country to take a Ferrari. There's very little room in it. It's horrible gas mileage. It's a stick shift. And so you could say it is true that there are sports cars and sedans and there are SUVs and there are pickup trucks. And you're j- it's really just a call that it's a model that has to make sense 
given what your theoretical what we're interested what level yeah what level of analysis are you interested in and one of the ways that that is um that researchers justify this level of analysis saying five is good it's good enough is that um these seem to capture all of the things broadly that people are interested in when they describe someone else but you're but you're right and so one of the criticisms is this the following if we rely on the words that we use to describe each other, it's going to be heavily weighted in favor of the things that I care about knowing about somebody that I haven't met yet, for instance. So uh, the psychologist Dan McAdams calls this the psychology of the stranger. It's heavily weighted on information that I want to know about before I meet you, for instance. I want to know, are you easy to get along with? I want to know, are you neat and tidy? But because it's so heavily reliant on the words that we've come up to describe each other, you might really be missing out on a lot of things that are important to us as individuals, but that we don't often communicate. And we so, don't know that it are, is important to us. Exactly. Like it, it might really matter to me to have sort of like, uh, you know, it, it could in fact be that my personal death anxiety is really dominates my psychology. Like I'm feeling it all the time. Um, now but nobody would describe you that way. Like, oh, this is my friend Dave. He's a really nice guy. He's he's really funny. He has a terrible fear of death. Exactly. And 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 really, what would be more important is if you tell me he's an anxious person. Right. Like, if you just say he's just a generally anxious person. Like, what do I what do you, what do I care if you are anxious because you know because of uh, of work or whether you're anxious because of death or whether you're anxious because uh, whatever. Um, I okay. care that you're anxious. So wait, right? so let me just see yeah. if I understand it. Cause I think the car analogy is really helpful. Like okay. we have, we have kind of figured out a way of dividing cars into categories that we care about, like SUV, right. sedan, um, subcompact hybrid. Like there are these sort of categories that when you're looking to buy a new car, you this, I want to buy this kind of car and then you will Google that and they'll give you like the rankings of that kind of car. And so that seems completely unproblematic. It doesn't seem like it's carving nature at the joints or it's right. capturing some like real platonic difference between. The, right. It, it's, it's just a useful way of distinguishing what consumers want and what uh, car makers are making. And if you want to get more specific than that, you can, right? You know, I want right. a standard. I want a stick shift. I don't want an automatic transmission, or I want <laughs> a an S like a like a compact SUV or large SUV. Yeah, like a large... you're making me feel like I'm renting a car because all of those categories. I don't know. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> but then car rentals sometimes. This is what I was saying. Like this is what happens when the categories are bad. They have like. Because they're trying to do something else exactly, not yeah. They're giving you like you know subcompact, compact, like <laughs> right. like mid range, and like those are kind of meaningless. You don't really know unless you know the car. Yeah. Uh, yep. yep. Because they're not trying to categorize it in a helpful way, they're trying to categorize it in a way that'll make you buy the cars. So you can yep, see that's how, it. exactly. So uh, so that's all very helpful. What and and if that's what the like personality psychology is doing then great but what strikes me as and you alluded to this earlier as something that we all really do want to know 
that isn't captured in these traits, as far as I can see, is that more evaluative or moral dimension. So yep. if I were describing you, I would say, you're, yes, you're funny, you, you can be a little anxious sometimes, but, but you're like a good person, you're, gen you're a generous person, I think you'll stand up for principle and stand up for yourself when it's called. Like, I, I would describe yeah. certain aspects of you that I don't see in yeah. these divisions. I think that's a really fair criticism. And this is why um, the, I would say like in the last 10, 15, maybe, maybe more years, an interest in character has really emerged because of this dissatisfaction. I think genuinely, I think that this was some sort of weird desire, like a, a mix of just empiricism and positivism and what science needed to be that we took away those dimensions um the evaluative aspect of it because we i think there when you said carving nature at its joints there is a real desire um by some personality theorists to to really carve nature at its joints and say that like extroversion introversion anxiety you know neuroticism that these are actually um tied to particular biological systems that will be seen across not just humans, but other mammals and perhaps other non-mammals. And that is what makes it the true dimension. And I think you could argue that and you could say, well, that's why um, if I'm interested in the biological aspect of personality and I look at temperament and I look at, you know, approach avoidance systems in the brain and <clears throat> I look at emotion and how biology causes positive and negative emotion based on on these biological goals you i think you'd be fine saying like i think there are these three dimensions or two dimensions that are are capturing personality in a deep fundamental way and fuck your evaluative part but if what you want to do is really capture something that is more than that something that is would be true of all humans and, and some people have pointed to humans important to humans even even in an evolutionary sense right, right. as some have argued exactly. where you say the first thing i want to know about somebody isn't whether they're neurotic it is whether or not they're good right yeah, whether and, they're trustworthy whether yeah. they're uh, whether you can count on them whether yep. exactly and and as to as two people who study at, like ethics broadly speaking yeah it's almost it's it's almost just a super obvious loudly telling me when i look at these lists i don't want to say a moral thing like yeah, it's almost exactly. like they're doing gymnastics theoretical gymnastics <laughs> right. to not let you put honesty or goodness or trustworthiness in any of these so it's kind of lumped between agreeableness and and conscientiousness maybe um and maybe with a dab of neuroticism, they're, they are on purpose not doing it. And, and so some have argued that even if you take like a hardcore evolutionary approach and you say, what is the social information that I'm interested in? Not just the biological, not just the sort of personal, my subjective experience, but the fundamentally social nature of, of personality information, it is a mistake to think that, that we're not interested in that kind of information. And that that alone should be reason to tweak your conceptual model to include it. And, and, and it's an yeah. obvious mistake, right? Yeah. I mean, any time, like, you know, you look at cultures with arranged marriages and that's what 
is they're concerned with. Um, right. Is this person a good person? Are they an honest person? Are they a courageous person? Uh, right. and so, I mean, it's, so it's that, bizarre because the, like fundamentally we know, right? It's not controversial that we are social creatures, but also moral creatures in that we are concerned about norms, social norms, moral norms, and living up to them and punishing people who transgress them and rewarding people who... Uh, adhere to them, right? I mean, that's that's something that you see in cultural psychology, evolutionary psychology, all of it. Yeah. So my, I, I agree. I totally agree. There is, I, I alluded to this newer uh, model of personality called the Hexaco model, which is just the the big five plus this dimension, and I'll put a link to the to the Wikipedia of this a, a dimension called honesty, humility. So. Um, so honesty, humility is sincerity, fairness, greed, avoidance, and modesty. And so the kinds of adjectives you would use are he's this, she's sincere, honest, faithful, loyal, unassuming versus the opposite, sly, deceitful, greedy, pretentious, hypocritical, boastful, pompous. So that they think that with these six, you might capture uh, more of the the traits that you might be interested but in. But even that, I don't like, know. That's, uh, that seems like you're lumping a hundred different things together yeah. all in one category of moral, right? Like whether somebody is loyal, I wouldn't think has much to do with whether they're pompous. Or and that gets us, yeah, yeah, that's a good segue. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. That's, yeah, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. That, yeah, that, that I, I totally agree. And that gets to the question then of, all right, say that I want to predict your behavior in a given situation. Are these tests doing a good job? Like, is this, is this actually doing... Because you can argue till you know, whatever, the cows come home. Is, is that the phrase? Till the do cow, do dogs come home? Uh, um, cows. Cows come home. <laughs> I was yeah. raised by immigrants. The dogs are already home. <laughs> the dogs are already home. Yeah. Uh, about how many dimensions there ought to be conceptually or given your factor analysis or whatever. And you might, like like I said before, you might just say, well, if I can't see it in non-human animals, then it's not what I want um, my model to be. But you're, there you're just really making a judgment about level of analysis. You're saying, well, I want to, I want to tie these to bio, biology. Um, but if you don't, if you're willing to admit that this is a social human thing, then the, then the question changes a little bit. And then I think it's important to say, like, if, for instance... If I want to predict how another person is going to act, what information do I need? Are, is, is information on, on these five dimensions enough? Is this sixth dimension enough? Um, should there be more? And there's where you get into some of the, the predictive validity uh, issues uh, about these tests. So a little bit of, of background very quickly. Personality psychology almost died entirely at the end of the sixties because of something we've talked about before called the situation is critique. So the claim was all you personality psychologists who have been studying all of these personality traits are dumb because if you look across situations, the situation shapes behavior way more than any personality trait. And if you look across studies, personality traits 
are really, really bad at predicting behavior in any given situation. So, uh, so the power of this situation trumps personality. And it literally, that critique, um, even though it was more nuanced than that, it was more of a claim of like, you have to study both things and how they interact. It was taken as sort of a, a, a death blow to personality psychology. And really, between 1968, which is when Walter Michel published that book that critiqued it, and, and probably the 80s, there was just barely any research on personality. Um, but then the virtue ethicists struck back. <laughs> and then they, yeah, they came back the eretaic turn. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> uh, it, 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 it grew, and there were, like, it was realized that there were problems with the criticism, like how you measure behavior and, and how good the measures of personality are really matter. And it turns out that there is a lot of predictive validity in, in personality tests. It depends on what you're trying to predict, what behavior you're trying to predict. And this gets to the... But the predictive the thing that it, the way it's predictive is like it will predict job performance or it will that kind of thing, right? Reported yeah, so, self-report well-being or yeah, all of those things. So we know, for instance, that people who are high in extroversion um, tend to be happier. Um, tend to because report these dimensions happier. because these yeah, well yeah, that that's that could be a problem. Like we have no good way of assessing well-being that's not subjective assessment but yes i mean and it's even more problematic because extroversion say and neuroticism because they roughly adhere to positive emotion and negative emotion it's yeah. no surprise that people who are high in positive emotion report being happier right, right. um and or, it's or also people no who surprise. report being higher in positive emotion will yeah. report being happier right but it's even no surprise that people who report being super high on conscientiousness are more organized in their job place, right? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. right, that's not, it, you know, unless people are lying. And in fact, I'll put a link to this too. Um, some of the really interesting work uh, in personality has been done by Sam Gosling at University of Texas, Austin. Um, he wrote a book called Snoop. It's a popular press book on personality, but the methods that he and others have used is to see if you can assess people's personality traits by just looking at their shit, not their literal shit, but like, the <laughs> not like tea leaves, but like their stuff. So if I come into your office at work or say your dorm room, here's a really obvious one that is the easiest to assess openness to experience. So if I go and I look at your bookshelf, it's not that hard to predict openness to experience by looking at the range of books that you're interested in, right? You can, you can predict things like extroversion um, and conscientiousness, obviously. Like, if you have a very well-organized room, right, you might be high in conscientiousness. And so, so one way of describing these findings is that it's, it's cool and sexy that you can predict people's scores on the personality inventories by looking at their stuff. So you say that sexy that you can <laughs> sexier, right? So like, well, like here's, go and break into somebody's house and look at their stuff and like predict things which, about them is sexy, which, which gets us scientifically sexy, but that gets us exactly to that creepiness that you just described gets us exactly to the Cambridge Analytica Facebook fiasco. 
Because what you can do is use Facebook data. Now, in the case of Cambridge Analytica, it was a personality psychologist who just did one of those, like one of the questionnaires that you took today that we both took is like something like that, a shorter version of that and sold those data to uh, people who were interested in targeting political ads. Self-report, in many cases, self-report, peer report, whatever scores on these dimensions do a decent job of predicting certain kinds of behaviors. Whether or not the fear that Cambridge Analytica was going to get like give people a political enhancement by matching their personality to their behavior, that's super doubtful. Like I don't think that they could have done very much with these data that would have made their political ads any better than just the simple like, is this person a liberal or conservative? Um, so the hope might have been um, something that I wanted to get around talking to that political orientation actually is predicted by your score on certain of these big five. So, so I'll leave it like, I want to see what you, what you would think predicts liberal or conservative in the big five. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Extroversion. I'm going to say more conservative, higher in extroversion, more conservative. Okay. Before I tell you then what's up, before I give you the answer, what do you think is a high liberal? High liberal, uh, I guess the one that's like empathy, agreeableness. Is that the one? Agreeableness. Uh, yeah, agreeableness. Although, so, but I, yeah. but I, you know, it's it's complicated. Like, I'm not sure. Like, these are yeah. these are wild guesses. Conscientiousness, maybe. So the I think that a good representation of the findings in general are that openness to experience, like trying out new things. Oh, that's liberal. And, that's going to be liberal. That's yeah. that's yeah. the highest distinguisher between liberals, right? That yeah, you're high, um, almost by definition, right? Like. <laughs> Again, right. it's almost like a conservative who does not like change and a liberal who, who wants new things. Right. Um, yeah. Conservatives are actually higher on conscientiousness. So like that tidiness, that order, desire for order, like that, yeah. that is more yeah. likely a conservative trait. Um, like at the extreme, it's the Germans. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Totalitarianism. Keep order. <laughs> at least the trains run on time. Um, it was the, a French guy the, being German. No, that was like a bad Italian because it was a Mussolini. <laughs> right? It's about Mussolini's. At the least, the trains ran on time. Okay. Liberals are high. Liberals are higher in neuroticism. And yeah, I think that's. I think that's yeah. just racism against Jews. But whatever. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> and American Jews and uh, extroversion doesn't seem to predict. So you have uh, it that. That makes. Now yeah. this is all Openness. like pre like yeah. all we need is to know which hand they wipe their ass with, right? Like I guess that 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 was just published, so they didn't. <laughs> the 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 hope the the real contribution of that um, study is that you, we wouldn't need to ask people like all of these stupid big five <laughs> questions. We could just ask them one. We just question. need the periscope under the toilet. Yeah. All right. So there's one there's one thing that I wanted to say um, uh, about your value like the moral question, because I think that you're right about the motivation to know about someone's personality is that it is valenced and you can't, I think that you can't shake the fact that it is valenced. So by removing, by trying your best to, to avoid value judgments in personality traits, I think you're missing the, the motivation that people have to know. 
hugely uh, right like let's yeah. say you and i like we have similar aged daughters and let's say we go away for i don't know a month somewhere and then we find out that both of our daughters have boyfriends and now we're asking what's the kid like right i mean god yeah. forbid this ever happens that they yep. do get boyfriends but well, they, they might get girlfriends. Don't don't be I, so heteronormative. That's right. I won't be heteronormative. So what are the questions you're going to ask? Is he a scumbag? Is he yeah. a, uh, is he funny? Is he like, so there's a lot of questions, but the idea that moral questions aren't going to be at the forefront of what we care about is, is insane. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. And I think, again, I think it's a mix of this desire to be quote unquote scientific and avoid value judgments, which yeah. is dumb. And, and some desire to, to find a, like biological substrates. Like a cross um, species, which is a bizarre cross- thing to, yeah. Well, like, even with dogs, in, in you the, don't want like, like, I don't care. Like if I want to know if you're like in the market for a dog and let's say you're going purebred, you know, you're not going to look only for traits that would also describe turtles or would also describe <laughs> no, like tigers. No, but but to be fair, like to be fair, there is uh, one of the reasons that that people look to the biology, right? They're, it's not that they so much want the conceptual, you know, the propositional knowledge of what distinguishes turtles from each other. It's more that there is an understanding that at least in the mammalian brain, there are these systems that are dedicated to approach versus avoidance behavior. So you have, you know, everybody has roughly um, a system that is about reward, like dopamine, right? Like approach, yeah. novelty, but then roughly a system that's, that's fear and avoidance, and it's meant to protect you from threat. And if you understand those two broad systems as being present in the in the brains of most mammals and perhaps other animals, then you can understand positive emotionality and a desire for novelty, like things that really underlie extroversion and openness to experience, as being your sort of your set point being higher for the approach system. And if and neuroticism and you know, like emotional ability and anxiety and and skepticism about, you know, being low on openness to experience, that's your threat system, your avoidance system is set higher. So the 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 at least the hope and the claim is that understanding the how individuals differ in their biological set points for those two systems is an interesting way of understanding why it is that uh, say conservatives and liberals believe the things they do because it really does boil down to to a biological feature of their nervous system that gave rise to these more complex social characteristics and behavior okay so that's it so there are two things at play here that that might be intention at a certain point but now i think i'm starting to get it at on the one hand you have what is the biological explanation for why people might differ along certain dimensions and having cross-species evidence can cast a lot of light on that question and is also just independently fascinating. The, the, the fact that, you know, we might share certain traits with dogs and other animals and have certain differences um, with 
you know, within the species that are parallel to the differences within their species. That's really interesting. And then there's this other question, which I, so, so I understand that motivation, but then there's this other question of what do you want to know about a person when you're describing them to distinguish them for another person? And the, and the things, those are two really different questions that might have very different kinds of answers or might produce very different kinds of models for, for answering those questions. Both are important, but it seems like they will be conflated or they'll have to, you'll have to sacrifice one goal to get the other goal um, if you're looking for one unitary model. No, you, the way you said that is exactly right. And I wish I had been able to say that. Well, clearly. only because Before? you've given me the, the material. <laughs> no, like. But this is exactly this is exactly right. I don't know that I would have said it without without this discussion because um, you can imagine that there is some overlap between those two, and right. you could say that um, uh, I am like I want to know whether or not uh, somebody is brave, and um, and you could imagine that that has some overlap with the biological system that is low on threat response and high on curiosity and and uh, novelty and risk taking, and so so it, it it makes sense that at least some of the things that we're interested in in learning about other people we're interested in by dint of being animals that have to navigate an environment and we have right. different different desires, but obviously. By dint of being social animals with language and the ability to do, you know, to lie, for instance, that is creates a whole other thing. And like, I don't really give a fuck. Like, if there is a biological substrate to honesty, like I just care whether or not there's a reliable way to know whether or not somebody's honest, right? Yeah. And if you tell me that honesty is very different from um, from bravery, then okay, I'll ask two questions, you know, or whatever it takes, because that like that's what I want to know. And you can imagine that you could come up with a kind of carving nature at its joints way of of accounting for these these differences. You might say that like evolutionary pressures that gave rise to you know to the way in which we coordinate socially and what what traits are important. You know, like being able to detect cheaters and punish them, or being you know being altruistic. It could be that 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 influences our minds to care about this information. But it could also be that it's like just something that emerged like yeah. because of our the complexity of our culture, right? And you might even expect that there's differences in, in cultures. Like, I don't really care that much about risk-taking and bravery, you know, if I'm thinking about like who I want to be friends with, uh, you know, but I might care if I'm asking them to join, you know, my hunting group. Um, uh, and so it could just be that there is a huge layer of socially constructed things that are interesting and that would give us motivation to say there are 16 things I care about. And that wouldn't have to map on one-to-one -to, -one to anything biological other than knowing that biology causes minds, right? Like it's not, of course, right. biology and, causes and, minds. And, but, yeah. yeah, and you're interested in in them for different reasons often. Yeah. Like, the sometimes you're interested in knowing the personality w without giving a shit why 
the person has that or exactly. whether it's biological or whether it's their culture or whether it's because of social media or whatever it is or because they had a trauma. It's just you just want to know how they are. And then other times you're fascinated by the question of, well, what what gives rise to the fact that this person is highly anxious or highly neurotic? Right. Yeah. So um, actually that, that reminds me of, of one maybe last thing because we've been talking for a long time, but uh, that there are a lot of people who believe that many forms of mental illness are simply being an extreme on basic personality dimensions. And so uh, one of my friends, Rachel Grazaplin, studied this in graduate school. Um, the claim would be that if you are super duper high in openness to experience, you start developing what people might call schizophrenia, if I remember it correctly. That this individual variation, that me many forms of mental illness are simply capturing people at the tail ends of the distribution of normal personality variation. Yeah. Um, which might be a, a fruitful way of understanding mental illness as just like sucks for you. You happen to be, have like really big feet and sucks for you. You happen to be really, really high on this trait. trait. Yeah, I mean, we should do a yeah. mental illness episode at some point. There's, I, I was coming across a lot of this research on how we define mental illness and how culturally variable that can be and how that's changed across periods of time as well. And I think there's probably some parallel kind of ideas here where the ways in which these categories get delineated has to do with certain contingent and cultural factors as well. I have a um, friend here who is a professor of, uh, I think, Greek. He's super interested in, in how mental illness has been defined across time and across cultures and he he has a lot to say on the matter but by basically just by looking at the ancients right and like what they talked about um but it's like one of his central interests yeah there's a lot to be unpacked there about what the disease model you know why why we why we have the classifications that we do um and a lot of it is super arbitrary yeah, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden like everyone has add you know, so we can get Adderall. I mean, there's a, yeah, that's the that's the functional reason, right? <laughs> right. Sort of, sort Pharma big pharmaceutical can profit. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, the reason I have baldness is to take Propecia. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, All right. right. Well, we hope we've done the topic justice. I learned a lot. Anyway, I I hope so too. To my personality psychologist friends, I apologize for misrepresenting <laughs> large swaths of what you studied. <laughs> but yeah, I'll put links to a lot of what I discussed, link to Sanjay's uh, website. They just, the Black Goat podcast I just saw did an episode on situationism um, that I, I haven't listened to yet, but I think it'd be interesting for our listeners because as personality psychologists, they really care about that critique. And so there might be some more, more info for you guys if you're interested in that. And they might be extra hard on Zimbardo and some of them. <laughs> I think I'm sure they are. This is why uh, personality <laughs> psychology almost died. We already know that Sanjay is a methodological terrorist um, and, a bully. And, and a bully. Samin is very, very nice. She never comes across as, as a bully. 
Um, but maybe but she's the kind of bully that does it behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so they're all bullies. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. Thanks again to our Patreon listeners for suggesting the topic. Okay. Just a very bad wizard.